folks, and welcome to the Daily Ratings Podcast. It's a show where each week we'll sit down with Vincent Daly to get his thoughts on the latest movies he's been watching, both older films and new releases. And don't worry, there's no spoilers. Vince will give a brief review of the movie, share some thoughts, and of course, then rate the film. The Daily Ratings are always fair, honest, and most importantly, they're consistent. On today's show, Vince will be rating and reviewing... The Quieter, directed by Jeff Murphy, Stir of Echoes by David Kep, The Others by Alejandro Aminabar, Walk Hard, The Dewey Cox Story by Jake Kasdan, and finally, newly released, Expendables 4, directed by Scott Waugh. It's going to be a great show, folks, so stay tuned and enjoy. Daily, how we doing, buddy? Hey, Tommy boy, how's it going? Uh, it's going okay for me. How was your uh, How was your week of movies, man? Uh, oh, it felt like an earlier podcast episode kind of week. I was just really? knocking things off to the list, getting them up for the site. You know, well, this is your kind of week. We're finally getting to some October movies for you, yes. like spooky movies. Yeah, uh, this actually, I tried to make it a spooky week, but almost failed on every account. <laughs> <laughs> Stir of Echoes, the others, definitely horror themed, but not horror all the way so <laughs> these were maybe knocking out the lesser horrors well maybe the they'll list. be better for the everyman then yeah for yeah. me <laughs> right for people who don't like horror <laughs> yeah i kind of like the week it's um it's all I'll, over the map yeah i might have a two shoes later or something oh, like that we'll see really yeah whatever it's okay, okay. all right uh you want to get started right away sure sure okay so we're going to jump back to 1985 i didn't get a chance to watch this film but you wanted when, to yeah when you sent me over the list and i was like i never heard of this before let me look it up Looked into it, watched the trailer, and I was into it. Mm, yes. Uh, didn't, it's a good trailer, believe it or not. It is a good trailer. Yeah. I, I didn't get a chance to, though. But we are in 1985. This is rated R, an hour and a half long. This is The Quiet Earth. And let's just get into it. I don't think it's on a lot of people's radar. <laughs> oh, no. So why'd you pick this film, and what's it about? Yeah, so, uh, I mean, Tom, this was a you know one true random watch, uh, which was refreshing for me to do when I'm so structured with tackling lists and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, what Matt. I was gearing up to watch was the 1980 film Altered States, uh, which is uh, Oscar-nominated, and it's about like a scientist that takes like peyote or some some shit like that. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and I stumbled on this is instead pretty much exclusively because of a dynamite trailer. Uh, the trailer <laughs> was, I, I thought it was great. When did you know, so when did you find out about the film? I was just kind of uh, searching through uh, Amazon uh, connected to Altered States, you know, just kind of like lingering. Oh, doing that. Uh, uh, and, Customers uh, also watched. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And I found this. And I was like, all right. So while it's not exactly a horror like I was hoping, uh, it's still a sci-fi thriller set in a post-apocalyptic world. And uh, believe it or not, in my research, uh, this is one of uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson's, one of his favorites. So, you know, I, We're not let's, bu- <laughs> let's give a shot. Ten, ten years ago, that would have meant something. <laughs> <laughs> right. Before the saturation That's because he wants to be this main guy. Yeah. That's why. <laughs> Even kind of look, you can see where he gets his look from, folks, if you go look at the poster. That's <laughs> great. I knew I was going to get a rise out of you. We'll do, we'll do an a, a astronomy special uh, if you want our expanded fo- thoughts, folks. This film was adapted from the 1981 book by Craig Harris, uh, and in execution, feels extremely close to I Am Legend, uh, and even the classic Dawn of the Dead, just without any zombies to it. And and in essence, is kind of, by 85, kind of a rewashed idea from Twilight Zone and similar type of sci-fi stories that you'd get in like pulp magazines, but is pretty unique and is yet another uh, chance for us to dive into Australian cinema, which uh, we don't really get that often. Uh, was this uh, this might have even been New Zealand? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, <laughs> sorry, I hate to be that guy that says they're different. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. they're different. 
Uh, <laughs> well, you, you are 100% so, right. The funny thing is, is, depending on what site you're on looking at this, or like, you know, if yeah. you want to read up on it, in some ways it's it's billed as a drama mystery in mm. sci fi. In other, in like Amazon builds it as a horror. Yeah. yeah. Um, which I find kind of weird. But it sounds like a dystopian future solo survival kind of flick. Yeah. It's like kind of like a last man on earth type of vibe. Sure. To it. Yeah. The reason why I compare it to like I Am Legend, Dawn of the Dead, is that there's like uh, a slight excitement in the post apocalyptia. Uh, the true freedom of you know society yeah. uh, no longer being I there. I dig that idea. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So this echoing wasteland is crafted by uh, our director uh, Jeff Murphy, a New Zealand talent that actually served as second unit director on Jackson's Lord of the Rings trilogy. Very cool. Uh, so uh, they all so, know each other, right? Yeah. <laughs> They're all <laughs> small place, small place. This coming not too out uh, too long after the post-apocalyptic hit 1979's Mad Max shows that they do this style justice down under i could uh maybe put some time into forming a special out of uh new zealand australian type of um, hit films or sci-fi films but uh we'll see where that goes and <laughs> i don't know if this film is, is giving evidence to that the quiet earth is by no means the first last man on earth style story uh, that would probably go to something from the 1940s or the 1950s but it's an impactful one that has a bold vision of it we follow Zach Hobson uh, waking up unexpectedly one day to a completely empty world. I'm talking cars are left running in the streets, tasks mid-progress dropped out of nowhere, and not a single sign of life around him. Is it the rapture? Uh, perhaps it's a weapon unleashed on his town? seems that Zack might have a clue as to what's going on uh, as he is a scientist engineer of a local research station. This was one of my favorite aspects about this film is actually our main character's competency. Zack's competency is actually wonderful as a feature of the story uh, because his technical background allows him to make these elaborate event inventions with his newfound unlimited resources uh, with no one around. You know, yeah, after he has a, a couple dozen mental breakdowns of his loneliness, which is fantastic, uh, he really gets to work on creating a utopia for himself. And as an audience, I think it's very enjoyable to have it watch a, a character that has so much control, mm. uh, so much, you know, he's the master of his own domain. He's the master of this, you know, this this quiet earth. And that and that's, once again, not to beat that horse, but, you know, flashing back to those inspirations, in this way, this film has the exact same excitement as... As Dawn of the Dead, that new freedom that comes with the apocalypse is, is addicting. His mental state is immediately in flux. <laughs> <laughs> like you can't tell how much time has passed in the movie, which is another cool aspect. Uh, you just kind of have to look to the sophistication of his inventions around him, and uh, as he's moving up in the world, uh, hopping from mansion to mansion. So, I, I think the actor uh, Bruno Lawrence does a great job at showing this. Uh, and baking that into the character. Lawrence doesn't really have too much else going for him, acting-wise, but I thought this was a highlight here uh, as far as that promo performance there. How quiet is the film? Well, he's definitely going crazy. Okay, okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's not all the way cr I would say the first 20 minutes tries to do like a quiet all the way. Okay. That, that's broken. Okay. Uh, yeah. Unfortunately for the story, though, the piece of Zack being master of the universe uh, is broken or, or uh, ruler of the world, as he says. Because as Zack learns more about what has happened, he discovers that he may not be the only one on planet Earth. And I want to avoid spoilers, especially if you have actually any interest in watching mm -hmm. this, Tom. This turn in the plot was where the film lost me. The inclusions of other characters robbed some of the beauty the film has going for its atmosphere. Without saying exactly where the plot goes, the focus shifts to a much smaller, petty story rather mm. than this large, grand mystery, sci-fi mystery, as uh, Zach's character's interest shifts elsewhere. He's, his character, by finding other people, shifts from solving the mystery, and it just kind of, the film just kind of languishes until he cares about the mystery again. You know what I mean? Yeah, Just yeah. kind of like... Uh, just kind of floats there a little bit. It would be best if it, you were kind of wishing just to stick with the almost survival solo story. Yes. Yeah. 
Yes. Or at least just focus on the science fiction aspect of mm. a very competent character that's a scientist, that's an engineer, that's qualified, and, and make something dynamic out of it. And, you know, I'm not saying that I, I wish the book was different or, or whatever, you know, when, when it's based off of something that gets a little tricky to critique something like that. But right, right. I think, man, get, the plot gets involved with, like, very small, petty issues that don't matter at all. And then it feels a little whiplash when it gets snaps back to right, the right. large grand mystery of where did everyone go so but i think it's a soft recommendation because the atmosphere that i mentioned uh, and regardless of my pr- preference of where the story goes it still has a very unique take on this twilight zone structured uh, story that twilight zone style to it a part of why the atmosphere is so so good is without a doubt an incredible soundtrack done by a relative no-name, John Charles. This is definitely the song that you heard in that trailer. Okay. That did you do any had. oppo on him? <laughs> no. He, he, did, he did nothing. He did more Australian stuff. So I'm like, I don't know. I'm not, not familiar with these Australian names. I don't know. You know, other than that, though, I think this film gets lost, both in a little priorities of the story and in standing among its other pure science fiction films. We're going to go ahead and give The Quiet Earth, 1985, a 56. Okay, fifty six. Yeah, not the not the diamond Nothing in too the rough. dazzling there. Yeah, yeah. yeah, not the diamond in the rough. I'm glad side you watched it though. I am too. I'm I, glad, it's kind of cool that you just fell upon it and it <laughs> wasn't just sitting on a list too. And you're like, all right, let's just do it. Yeah, let's just do it. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and that's why it was refreshing. And definitely in the, in the research after watching this, finding little nuggets like he was second unit on Lord of the Rings and whatnot. Cool yeah. little things. So all right, all right. Well, <laughs> I don't know if I'm gonna check it out now. <laughs> Maybe first 30 minutes. But let's go on. <laughs> We're jumping to 2001 now. Big time Kevin Bacon here. This is No, 1999. Oh, damn it. Okay, that's right. We're in 99. We're doing Stir of Stir of Echoes. I switched up on my paper. It's like I can't compute. Uh, Stir of Echoes in 1999, directed by Kavid Cup or Kep or Coab. David Coab. What did I say? He's Kavid. <laughs> Gave it. What's going on, Tom? Uh, how was it? <laughs> well, uh, good old David uh, might not be a name you recognize uh, in the director's chair, but you can be damn sure, folks, you have seen one of his scripts, Jurassic Park, the original Mission Possible, the worst Indiana Jones film. Uh, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, toss-up. Uh, he actually wrote both Dial Destiny and Crystal Skull. Oh, so, you know, dude, it's kind of like a choose-your-own-adventure, which <laughs> one you think is worse. But it, it, he is an undisputed master of screenplay adaptation. Uh, this adaptation is of a, uh, a much older book, 1958 book by the same name by Richard Matheson a talent in writing of the Twilight Zone, and whose most famous work was the original I Am Legend, as a bit of a connective tissue to our last film. Okay, Completely all right. Completely unplanned. I love too. it, I love it. Zoster of Echoes first, and then in addition, Quiet Earth was this random thing, so I found these these little ties this week, which was, which was fun. And, and honestly, our director writing the screenplay here, updating the horror for modern audiences, you can see the type of electricity, even though I wasn't a massive fan of this movie, you can see the electricity uh, that Coep, I don't know, I, how do you pronounce his name, folks? Right I, we'll say, I think we'll just Coep. Let's just do Kep. Kep. All right, I like Kep. Let's just do Kep. <laughs> you can it's see his fault. I mean, I'm over him. <laughs> you can see the prowess, though, that he's like, he's fine-tuned. Uh, he's he's kind of a master at uh, turning out these screenplays, these adaptations. So. He's a master at turning them out. I don't know if he's a master of when it comes to quality of work. <laughs> You're right. You're right. So true. And, and honestly, boy, does this feel like it has some updates to a 1958 story. we got some real wide 2k horror vibes here uh from the editing style to the obsession with plot twists uh this actually pairs really nicely with our next film we'll cover uh the others for this week and in that it both both of them kind of chase the stylistic wave of light 90s cinema that m night Shyamalan is absolutely about that Mm. it is about the twist baby oh you gotta see it for the (laughs) twist you know uh and i I don't think that that's necessarily bad i think for me personally i i kind of i don't know i pocket that i segment it into razzle dazzle twist even how how good the twist may be yeah it could be it could be done well and make the film yeah 
Exactly. I mean, signs that, well, we did the whole, we did M. Night Shyamalan episode. Yeah, yeah. Going back. Some hit. Why do we, yeah. some, some don't hit. Some, our PA boy. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of chasing style, though, this film has some shocking similarities to its pure horror mystery film in 1999, The Sixth Sense. Mm. Uh, Sixth Sense came out on August 6th, uh, with Stir of Echoes coming a month later on September 10th. Now, from my research, it seems like this was in production all the way back in 1998, uh, but got beat to the box office and suffered in the wake of such a big hit, both for box office and I think for critical reception as well. Yeah. Uh, just these coming out a month from part of each other. They both have psychic children. They both deal with oh, ghosts. Oh, wow. Really? Oh, yeah. It's like, <laughs> but, and, you know. Let me say, folks, when we make these connections on the show, we're not making any kind of grandiose statement of just like, oh, the original has to be better. Or right, no, like, no. Because yeah. clearly this was in the works for like a year, but uh, here it is a slight chicken before the egg or at least uh, chicken before the bacon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because now it's it, what it probably comes down to is story and then it's bacon versus bacon versus bruce willis yep and then the kid versus this kid zachary david cope Yo, who yeah. no one's heard of before or again <laughs> so it's like you know tough sorry yeah, when you go yeah. against a sixth sense you gotta, right. you gotta bring it one of like I, honestly i think one of the best child performances right. ever put on film so but yeah and with that, let's let's talk about Bacon a little bit. Kevin Bacon plays a regular Chicago dude. Um, he works the line. He's uh, he's in a band a little bit. <laughs> uh, definitely a, a an average Joe. Uh, he gets hypnotized as a party trick and self destructively opens up a kind of a spirit sensitivity in him. That perception of the spirit world starts pretty brutal, splashing scenes of ultraviolence uh, before fading into confusion. But those scares form into more of a horror mystery, uh, one much better than what we covered last week with Haunting in Venice. So take that for what it's worth. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, uh, Tom, this is exactly like a movie we covered much earlier in the podcast, The Dead Zone with Christopher Walken. Oh yes, yes. Uh, where uh, as a, as a Stephen King title, spirit sense, you know, a near death experience unlocks spirit sensitivity, and then that is used in a storytelling uh, structure to solve mysteries around near death experiences, and that's exactly what we have here. Okay, so much so that in my research by our director, The Dead Zone is a primary influence of what he wanted to do with this movie. Uh, something I was very much feeling. Uh, the entire time watching the movie. And folks at home, if you like The Dead Zone, if you like this, that's a cross recommend. That's an easy cross-recommendation yeah, because definitely. they are very much living in the same exact space. I, I think my main issue here is just the acting. Uh, it's it's just a bit stilted. <laughs> uh, you know, so much character exposition to even how it's introduced. You know, like Bacon's acting is a little bit all over the place in this. Is he, have an ac- is he trying to do an accent? Or, I, or is it just like, just screw the accent? No, it's definitely like, just like a little like uh, Chicago. I don't, I don't okay. It's not even like good <laughs> Chicago. It's just, yeah. He, he gives an almost Nick Cage level breakdown once the mystery starts forming. <laughs> so that could be, you know, fun or distracting. <laughs> you know, take your pick, folks. Probably the biggest letdown is he says he's in a band and we never get him see to play show. Like, come on. <laughs> I mean, you know, that's that's uh, Sh- Chekhov's gun, you know. I mean, Chekhov's guitar. I need if there's if there's a band <laughs> reference, you got to play a show. It's probably cuz he's a band in real life. <laughs> so he's just trying to like, guys, can we just do it? Can we just throw it in? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then of course this is actually, you know, coming the week that we actually got some drama with Kevin Bacon too uh, off of a film he just directed. We got I, beef? I don't know the whole story. Apparently, it's something that he's, you know, of course, his daughter is, was in later seasons yes. of Stranger Things. I, yes, I know they've been going on the, they've been on the tour. Kind yes, of, yeah. yes. And apparently, Bacon, uh, Kevin Bacon directed uh, a sex scene with his daughter. Not, uh, you know, that, that she's, she's in ah. this movie. And it's just, it's just a little gross. A little, like, little, <laughs> little not great. A little not great. A little too great. close. Yeah, a little too close. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's get that out of the room. <laughs> <laughs> We, we get a psychic-sensitive child, like I said, in this as well, uh, which in the comparison game is infinitely weaker <laughs> than Haley Joel Osment. And it's just interesting in its presentation. It's a little unique. Uh, the kid will speak directly to the audience at times. Um, oh, which speaking is, to the camera? Yeah, which yeah. is interesting uh, and kind of you know sells an unease to it, but... All of these these horror pieces, they're, they're pretty scary right in that first 30 minutes. 
all of them get dulled intentionally because the mystery has to take place. Mm. I felt honestly exactly how I felt with Haunting in Venice in the sense that there was... The, the horror has to take a back step for problem solving in a mystery plot to happen. So I don't know if I have really great contenders this uh, this Halloween month, uh, as, as we refer to October. Uh, <laughs> but I, I don't know if there's a, a single horror mystery that is more horror than mystery. I, I don't know mm. if that can happen. Maybe original Saw. I don't know. It's something I'm kind of curious about in the ongoing progress of my yeah, movie watching. That's that's kind of interesting. I almost think that most films would be more horror than mystery. Yeah. Well, if they're billing themselves as that. Right. You know. And that's a that's a that's a classic pair. That's rom com. It's horror mystery. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. For sure. I I think the kids' uh, role in this is a little bit under explored uh, in the plot. It very much feels like a late edition, if I'm being honest. But again, this was technically in production from 98. So I'll, I'll get off that horse a little <laughs> bit. The mystery is what you're here for, though, folks. Uh, because if you enjoy a roller coaster plot, if you enjoy these, these 90s peers that I've been referencing, uh, this has a lot of twists and turns to it in a very good way. Horror-wise, I, I didn't expect the ultra gore kind of sprinkled in occasionally in the psychic flashes that bacon goes under like i said they become much more tame after a while as the mystery takes a more dominant role in the plot mainly they become more tame as these splashes of horror in the story and in in the runtime of the film because these visions are given context as to what they might be the visions themselves become the breadcrumbs to the mystery that we're piecing together and that bacon becomes obsessed with in the film uh, and, and honestly, as a credit to that mystery side, though, the amount of times I said what in this <laughs> film was, I mean, it, it was insane. I, 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 I said what out loud a solid four times. Okay. Uh, so Not selling it? They uh, weren't, they... No, maybe that's a good thing. I, I, I was really torn. I didn't know okay. if that was a good or a bad thing. Because obviously that what is key to some, some me falling for some plot twists. Uh, which, you know, that's a, that's effective. I, I think it paid off. I don't know, though. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm really not sure about just, just how much I was just evocally saying what. Because it was just too crazy? It just like... It's just like... Or is it like, why are you doing it was, this? You know, it was more of like a come on type of thing. Okay, okay. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, but in, in essence, that is confusion to where it actually really wants to go. I think reflecting on this film, I felt it... It was a little bit more of a weak recommendation from me. You know, one of those movies that is perfectly fine in execution, perfectly fine for the time period as well, Mm -hmm. but certainly won't have me returning to it. And I think it's very much a once and done type of film. We're going to go ahead and give Stir of Echoes, 1999, a 59. Okay, 59. Yeah, it's. I, I think you're right where if you like the Christopher Walking film. Mm. This is go ahead. Like you oh, might you might as well watch this. Near identical. And if you're in the mood for a low grade sixth sense for whatever reason. <laughs> for I whatever think that reason. this would be a go you know. I think in the nineties people were clamoring for a low grade sixth sense. <laughs> you know, anything that they could get it. Uh, you got a talking child? You got a yeah, literally. creepy just, kid? <laughs> get me in there. And there's a daughter. It's just too much, probably. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And Bacon is uh hit or miss, often a miss, I would say for us. Yeah. I want to see him. Do better. I I have more likings towards Ethan Hawke than Kevin Bacon, but I they're much so they're in the same section of my brain oh, though. For sure, you know. For sure, maybe Bacon gets uh, a few of the more uh, iconic roles or like Footloose and whatnot. But uh... oh wait, I'm just realizing it's I Ethan Hawke. I, I made the same. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh my god! I literally, <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> I just made the Maybe mistake. Because they, they kind of look alike. Oh it's almost my like they're God. brothers. It was Ethan Hawke that had the drama. Oh, Ethan Hawke did the mm. sex scene with the daughter. Wow. Uh, well, now I'm thinking that, I mean, he that's, made... That's proof right there. <laughs> well, I, I think I take back my criticism. He must have He must have had a reason for doing it. Right, you can't, because you're rooting for Ethan Hawke. I'm rooting for Ethan Hawke, so I want him to succeed. <laughs> uh, that's his there. That's that really is, funny. That is genuine. We both at the same time, we were both like, what? Wait, wait, what? <laughs> 
that was the plot twist of the review, folks. So hope you enjoy Stir of Echoes. All right, let's see if it get. Let's see if we get out of the fifties here. So we're jumping two years. This is now two thousand and one. Uh, this is a PG thirteen horror mystery thriller. This is called The Others. It has a daily ratings of favorite and absolute love. Nicole Kidman. <laughs> So uh, let's get into it right away again. Set up the story a little bit, and uh, when, when, what are we dealing with here? So yeah, the others is like a uh, a, a gaslighting ghost story, which is sounds a weird. gaslighting ghost mm, story. Yeah, yeah. It's so, <laughs> so I'm not I'm not I'm not peeking your. <laughs> <laughs> the ghost trying to play for a fool. Then? I mean, okay, yeah, a little bit. Okay, Let's see, we get people playing played by a fool. Uh, <laughs> uh, this is from the writer director that brought us the Spanish hit "Open Your Eyes" in 1997. Which, if that doesn't ring any bells, folks, um, that movie was remade into 2001's "Vanilla Sky" with Tom Cruise, a movie we covered on uh, an earlier episode of the podcast. Hmm. But during the very same year, in 2001, while his story was being adapted and Tom Cruise was doing his best Bruce Wayne impression in Vanilla Sky, uh, Alejandro Anabar uh, was making this film. In The Others, uh, we linger about a wealthy estate uh, where Nicole Kidman mothers two secretly ill children and increasing evidence of ghosts in the house become a psychological pressure on everyone in the house, the kids, Nicole, and then also a kind of um, a, a new housekeeping family that comes uh, to uh, to get hired by Nicole. And the movie feels like a psychological drama in a haunted mansion. That's the elevator pitch. Maybe not ghost gaslight. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we are all, always kind of unsure if new evidence in the story is real or some elaborate gaslighting uh, seen through unstable eyes. I think one of the best pieces, in addition to, against my better judgment, Nicole Kidman doing a pretty great job here. Okay, that's fine. Uh, <laughs> not, not, to, not to reel it back, uh, but she does a pretty great job in the sense that she's an unreliable narrator. We don't really know if the new pieces of the puzzle are something that we can trust and uh, if she's uh, someone to trust, uh, you know, through the observation of that. It's a, it's a, it's a really interesting mystery for that reason. Reason. You know, Nicole Kidman playing this kind of crazy mommy runs a, a tight household. We are given a crash course on the the uptight, you know, uh, twisted and not rules of the mansion through a new housekeeping keeping family that shows up to work and. That's got to be one of my favorite aspects of it is that uh, though the movie has kind of a slow start, mm-hmm. uh, we're given the lay of the land. We're giving a lot of rules to then use in the script uh, for either building scares, building tension, or building mystery. Uh, I think it's a very tight script for that reason. Definitely, you can see that uh, Amina Bar is in like his director-writer you know, uh, stride coming off right. of his main hit as well. Is it safe? How much are we in this mansion? How much are we in the house? Is it a very safe, kind of easier movie yes. to get set up in? Yeah. yeah okay. and, and if anything, it's a, it's a very slow start uh, just because it's just kind of walking around the mansion right, with Nicole right. Kidman and these new employees. Gotcha. So. But, but I think it pulls you in uh, as you begin to understand the peculiar dynamics of this family. Uh, part of this draw is some great setting work. We kind of instantly know this mansion in and out for the first th- in the first 30 minutes, which, which I'm always a fan of. There's also an unusual rules with this house, which are, you know, again, used for this kind of building tension scares in an interesting way. In an interesting way. It's not, it's not rules just for a jump scare or something like that. How the scares are layered in this movie is, is a lot more impressive on how it kind of gets in your head a little bit. It gets okay. in your skin a tiny bit. Uh, as an example, her children, uh, Nicholas and Anne, are poisoned by sunlight, so any room needs to have its curtains shut. That's a, That's a good touch. <laughs> right, That's right. a good touch. Uh, so definitely makes a creepier setting and, and again, has kind of a, a visual scare that you'll see rules like this around the house that we know well, the characters know well, but are out of place as we're watching the movie. So it's like, all right, well, what's, what's going on okay. here? So as an audience, we understand these as the characters do, like I said, and, and uh, slowly these breadcrumbs are laid to figure out the real situation. Uh, I would say, unfortunately, though, uh, the biggest hurdle for the movie is two heavy child actor roles. 
I'm relying heavy on them. Oh, it's 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 bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's not good. And it's they're the pretty fir- young. They're yeah, pretty young. Yeah, it's the first time in a very long time that I, I really was like, oh, this is really harming. You know, it's bad. Yeah, it's I feel bad. like I've I've carried the torch for a long time of hating kid actors, but <laughs> yeah. in the last you know in the last maybe what forty episodes of the podcast, I feel like that's kind of, I've kind of turned a little bit. I don't think you've turned. I just think we hit it on a good pot. Sure. Of good of good kid acting. Yeah. But yeah. it's I, I don't think it's they could be the worst thing ever. Like I mean, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's a classic. We gotta take our knives out on the kids. I mean <laughs> <laughs> You're right. They the could knife- destroy it doesn't matter how good Nicole Kidman's doing. <laughs> if her two children are terrible on screen, it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean and, and that's and that really is the case here. I mean, Nicole is great, but these kids drag it down and there's just such a, a heavy importance to their role too. It's like really a lot is on their shoulders too. Yeah, I bet they Deliver beats dramatically and whatnot. Oh, I bet they're totally tied into the story of things. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you know, I, I would I would describe their role, that importance of the role, almost uh, like we saw in Mommy Dearest. Uh, that you know what they feel and what they have to get across for dramatic beats, it just wasn't doing it for me. Uh, I'll give some credit to the boy being good at being actually scared, which is something. I mean, most recently, what I can remember was Knock at the Cabin, Shyamalan, speaking of Shyamalan, yeah. where the little girl wasn't scared. That was totally once. critique. Yeah. yeah. And just didn't sell it. So at least the boy is like, he looks terrified. They must have been torturing him. You know, <laughs> there's no mystery why he doesn't continue with his acting career after this. So <laughs> it's just too much responsibility to have so many story beats around them. Unfortunately, it was, it was a serious mark on an otherwise really interesting building mystery. I would say despite seeing Nicole Kidman possibly over 100 times after trailers in the last uh, two years, <laughs> conservatively 100 times, her performance is really solid here. I think it says a lot that she's really the only big actor in the entire production. There's an older woman that I really like who's in it. Oh, really? But, I don't know, maybe back in her day she was a bigger actress. Nobody knows her anymore, but she played Mrs. Mills, apparently. It's Fiona... Oh. Fianula Flanagan. Okay. Yeah, and I've yeah. seen her in a few things. She's and, like the lead head, uh, housekeeper. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. And and she was also in, she was in Kill the Irishman. Oh. And she was in a couple other roles. And nice. she's just she's just very good yeah, yeah, at yeah, the yeah. role she has to play. Absolutely. But it sounds like Nicole Kidman kind of just had this on her back. Yeah. And uh, not in a bad way because I think she really delivers here in the mental anguish that is uh, needed for this kind of, a, a kind of a torturous mystery. This, this kind of, it shifts in and out of gaslighting to ghosts to psychological to you know some degree of like mental illness as well mm-hmm. uh, and all of it is really balanced in, in Nicole Kidman's performance um, you know her emotion and frustration in this gaslighting is so realistic and I found the film you know executed exactly how it wants us to see her as an unreliable unre- main character to constantly question what we're seeing in the film whether it's her perception of it or not and okay. I f- just felt it was just a really excellent match for that reason so um, um, that 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 tearing that her being torn between empathy and doubt was exactly what we experienced as an audience in this movie, which okay. I thought was just really great. Okay, she was nominated for a BAFTA for it too, oh, at least. Yeah, interesting. she did yeah. get some sort of nom for it. Yeah, yeah. But overall, I would say it, it, it's not a bad movie. I think it has really good highlights, but I think it has some some lowlights that chip it away. And uh, I can't ignore that this was an hour and forty four minute film, and it boy. It feels like double the time. <laughs> it feels like easily like a, like an epic. Like, <laughs> I feel like I just watched Godfather 2 uh, after I was done with this. And I was like, what? This was under an hour? And it's just because of that pacing and tone. It's like a slow, unfolding psychological mystery. Sure. Uh, so, I mean, it's it's appropriate, but... Uh, kind of be warned if you do watch it. Uh, it might be a wild stab, folks, but I feel like this film would hit great for anyone that enjoyed 2008's The Phantom Thread. Again, great a, connection. A man. wild. I, yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad you like I it. I can see the. I can see the connection. So. Yeah, yeah. I didn't see this, but yeah, I like that. <laughs> uh, and and it's really it's especially in how they question or how we as the audience question the true nature of the story. So. In addition to some some standout performances, I think that is where this kind of hits as a strong movie. If you even like the pacing of Phantom Thread, I think you're going to be right at home with, despite this being an hour and 44, 
feeling like an eternity. Uh, we're going to go ahead and give the others 2001 a 63. Okay, 63. Not bad. It's definitely for a certain audience, though, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I just quick props to Alejandro Aminabar. He did. He directed it, wrote it. Yeah. He's also built for doing the music for the film too. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. So wow. props where props are due for sure. All right, Vince. So let's take a big jump. We always like to, you know, comedy and horror always paired together, <laughs> and that's exactly what we're gonna do here. We're jumping to 2007. This is our Judd Apatow film study. He is writing for this film. He is not directing it this yep. time. This is Walk Hard: The Dewey Cox Story. <laughs> so is this the one you have Tommy Two Shoes for? Yeah, I'm gonna say yes. Okay. Now, I didn't right. get a chance to go see Expendables four. So yes, <laughs> I mean Dewey Cox. I was hoping, walk man. hard. It, yeah. It's it's rated R. It's an hour and thirty six. Finn, let's get into it right away. How'd you like Walk Hard? <laughs> well, uh, it's no secret to you and I, but for folks at home, uh, this is a classic repeat movie watch uh, within our friend group growing up. But, yeah. Uh, yes. Now I'll say this right now. <laughs> I don't know if you'll admit to this at all. You would always begrudgingly. <laughs> Yeah. Sit along with and watch it. Every yeah. time it turned on, it would always you would have been like, "This is a good one. right," because I just wanted to watch something new. And it's, it's such a dumb comedy in a lot of ways. It is so dumb. It yeah. is so dumb. But if anything, it, it beat me into submission because I, I do, I do, I do love this movie. Uh, and uh, and that's that's without nostalgia goggles or or looking back on it fondly. I think it's it's a very well organized comedy. You know, like you said, Tom, this is our first different director, but sticking with Apatow for the writing department uh, in our next entry of the study. And I'll be honest, folks, you know, this slot was a toss-up between 2005's Fun with Dick and Jane, even the Adam Sandler movie Don't Mess with the Zohan, all... Oh. <laughs> go, well, go ahead, sorry, go no. ahead. <laughs> <laughs> All I, I agree. I I'm right there with you. Uh, all of these hit on, yeah, maybe written by Apatow, but it's not like fitting his trademarks of what we've been studying. Yeah, you, know? you also you don't think Apatow when you think you think Adam Sandler. Yep. and having his mitts on the Zohan. Sure. And then fun with Dick and Jane. I actually didn't know that came up just randomly another before. I don't forget what we were talking about. Uh, love that movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Love it, but I don't think Apatow ever. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Uh, exactly. If anything, uh, I mean, fun with Dick and Jane kind of gets lost to the to the. To it always history. gets lost. Yeah, yeah, it, it always gets lost, gets lost and it's a shame that it does. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, all three of these movies, Apatow, uh, he doesn't direct. Uh, he's it's seriously missing his usual style that we've been seeing so far. Mainly, that's the long improv edits being his trademark, and are swapped out for more structured parody. And believe it or not, uh, even more kind of stupid slides, slapstick <laughs> jokes. It's only until our next slot, Pineapple Express, that we'll see kind of a little bit of a return to form. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. I think uh, this was interesting to watch Apatow in a different scenario uh, as far as his comedy writing. You know, Walk Hard is right in line with so many, so many 2000 spoof movies. And uh, in this case, rips on the ever-popular Oscar bait, the music biopic. Uh, this movie is a direct mix of so many films, but a primary combination of 1991's The Doors, 2004's Ray, and 2005's Walk the Line. All great movies in their own right, but all very cliche and very much make up this music biopic beats that everyone copies till this day. Yes, and done well. I mean, I mean, Ray and Walk the Line sure. is still. Absolutely. I think Walk the Line... Not a must-watch, but definitely in high 80s, okay. I say. That, that makes sense. Yeah. And I would say Dewey Cox is, is doing most, it's pulling most from... Walk Hard. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Wait, w- Being the most recent entry... Walk Hard, wait, no, no, Walk Hard is pulling the most from Walk the Line. Walk the Line, yes. wow, this is... We've got our <laughs> yeah, wires yep. crossed this episode, <laughs> let me tell you. Uh, <laughs> Just like we talked about with parodies of movie genres last week for Black Dynamite and Outlaw Johnny Black, uh, if you haven't seen these films, I think this movie still is plenty funny, but it is very dependent on having awareness or at least of music industry, bands, uh, and then directly these music biopics to really get it, Yeah, uh, you know, quote unquote. 
There's some serious love put into this movie, however, uh, and it comes uh, to that music parody itself. And despite this being a little less unique than our previous two films for the study, I still think it's well worth your time. You know, almost akin to uh, like a Blues Brothers movie, there are many guest spots for real musicians to be peppered into this mu- mm-hmm. movie. Some are just kind of quick industry jokes, but others are standouts for the whole movie. Jack White's impression of Elvis Presley. <laughs> Folks, it's still serving as the best on-screen Elvis to this day. <laughs> it's not, but it's so enjoyable. It is the most enjoyable Elvis. It's so good. <laughs> it's 20 seconds long, not even. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but... Uh, you know, that, that that passion for parody is clearly shown in the soundtrack as well. And, and and that's what I think there's a there's a separation here. The design towards having a music biopic as a parody, sure, it's there. But you kinda mm-hmm. have to have the goods in the music as well that is undoubtedly yeah. the backbone of any music biopic. Yeah, and, and it does. Some of the, some of the songs are good. Yeah. Some absolutely. of the songs they just get it down. Yeah. Uh, I I think John C. Riley kills in so many funny songs. Uh guilty as charging starts in with like good morning, Your Honor. It's yeah. just like it's so <laughs> stupid. But it gets a laugh out of me and I, I don't feel like it's a waste of time on screen. I think that's also a big fine line here. Flashback way back to our Zucker Abrams star- study. Uh, to the spy genre parody film Top Secret, and there's an attempt, a, a similar attempt at musical comedy that falls completely flat during the runtime. Here, I think it works so much better. And not that I'm saying I'm an expert on sound production, but the quality of these songs the songs are pretty surprising as well. I think the quality of I, these tracks. Are, I, I couldn't yeah. agree more. Yeah. They're actually pretty good. Yeah, they could almost be. <laughs> they're they're they totally work. Yeah. and they could be like, okay, this makes sense in this setting here. We're okay with this. Yeah, yeah. It is. I don't think the film wastes too much. Where I was having issues with Forty Year Old Virgin, and mm. I was kind of like, we've been with this, these guys before. Yeah. I know you felt it's a little bit more fresh. The guys are younger. It's kind of great sure. to see those in, the, in those earlier roles. I'm glad we the not having the riffing, having more of a structured actual screenplay. Mm. I think works to this film's advantage big time. Yeah. And we don't really have normal Apatow crew either. Yeah, no. We have a lot of familiar, I mean, a lot of familiar faces. <laughs> sure, sure. But I think it helps. I think it's people playing their specific roles and coming to read their lines, kind of. Yeah. And it's orchestrated really well. Yeah. Really well. And because it's a parody, it needs to have that focus. I think if it was mm-hmm. improv based, the jokes would feel too unfocused modern. on it, or modern, or too yeah. modern, or, or too much close to those guys' other characters. Yes, yeah, you know? and it has to fill that role for that reason. Yeah. So, our main talent, John C. Riley, I think is great. You know, I might have a bias growing up as an Adult Swim millennial, but uh, I really do love John C. Riley in this role. Yeah, similar to his Doctor Steve Brule character, he works best. When he's in comedy, I mean, we covered Hard Eight on the podcast. He's in a you know a couple Scorsese films. Keep John C. Riley comedy, you know. <laughs> yeah, I, I, PTA can use him whenever he wants. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm in Boogie Nights. Although oh, that's true. Somewhat comedy though as well. Yeah, that's true. Just that's because Boogie Nights is just a whole unique right. beast. It's, it's a whole thing on its own. Uh, but Riley totally works. Yeah, I'm kind of going back back in my head. I, I I think you could go ahead and plug in Will Ferrell. I think the movie still works. Oh, I didn't even think about that. I, I think the movie still works. Yeah. but Riley just. His look, his mannerisms just work so, so well. Right. And what shocks me is that sometimes he does get, like, some cool rock star vibes. Like, he gets arrested at one point. Right. And I was like, he looks kind of cool. Like, what, what, am I, what am I thinking here? But, yeah, he, he just brings such idiocy to the role that I, I can't help but it, it just gets some dumb giggles out of me. Uh, and, and trust me, there is some super dumb humor here that feels totally out of place for Apatow's style. But I think it has this kind of jokes per minute approach that I've mentioned before. We mentioned on last episode that I think it will eventually pierce anyone's armor. And yeah. maybe I'm just tuning into what a good parody movie is. Yeah. Yeah. This kind of jokes per minute aspect. And, and I don't think it's going to take too long for people to understand. To, to settle into this film, 10, 15 minutes, and you're going to be laughing. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? I, I think that breaking of the barrier won't take too long with this film. Most of the jokes are extremely dumb, <laughs> yeah. but I don't. But I find it smart or structured in a way 
where it's an extremely funny movie. Yeah. Where if I watch like a Joe Dirt mm. and the jokes are dumb, mm-hmm. they don't hit for me. Mm, I watch okay. a Dewey Cox and I'm laughing. I mean, I'm just sitting here going through lines and wanting to recite them <laughs> because it's such a funny movie. Yeah. It's yeah. such a funny movie. Yeah. Both movies have are dumb jokes. Sure. I, I, I think, think one I've ever hits... seen Joe Dirt. Okay, but... all right. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. I'm going to get the, the, the hordes. <laughs> now I have but... to do it. <laughs> But that's not the only example. The biggest thing is there's a lot of these dumb comedies out yes. there. And sometimes dumb just to be dumb doesn't translate into uh, into funny. Yes. To actually out loud bursting out laughing. The movie feels smart in mm. a weird way for right. as, as dumb as it is. Yeah. You know? Because it's focused on the parody, which I think is, is, is great. Yeah. Let me ask you, do you think, I mean, we, we talked about it last episode with Black Dynamite, do you think this film is on a knife's edge of, if you don't know these movies, you don't get it? You know, the get it factor. Nope. Okay. Nope. And I think because, honestly, I think people know Walk the Line or the character or stories about Johnny Cash sure. enough where this hits. I watched I watched this before I watched Walk the Line. Oh, okay. okay. And it's hilarious. Oh, that's great. That's now, great. I think, would I like it even more if I watched I'd Like, absolutely, yeah, probably. Yeah. And that's and, where it's a little bit about the music industry as well. Like, there's equal parodies of yeah, just concepts like right. the Beatles and Beatlemania early <laughs> on. Right. And, you know, there's, there's like music industry jokes. There's, for anyone who has any idea of anything yeah. with, with, with music or that kind of genre. Yeah. Or, or rock and roll. Right, or blues kind of roll. Yeah, yeah. Blues kind of rock and roll stuff, yes. So it's it's gonna hit no matter what. Someone's gonna have some sort of connection and know what's going on a yeah. little bit. Yeah. And that's what I'm saying. It it it's smart. It's good at doing the parodies, but mm-hmm. it's also good at just knowing what it needs to be. <laughs> I don't know. It, it's I love this movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I really do. I love I'm this movie. I'm glad we're on the same page on this one. <laughs> uh, let's talk about just some standout bits. Uh, the running gag of wrong kid died <laughs> is. <laughs> Is incredible. I mean, I think it's it really just a perfect example of a joke compounding over the course of a comedy. Yeah. Uh, anytime Dewey gets into a new drug is great. Um, <laughs> you know, locked in by a great supporting performance from uh, Tim Meadows. And, and honestly, it, pretty much any of the cliches that plague these music biopic films which are, are mistakes still made by new biopics to this day, mm-hmm. folks. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think that's where this movie tips into a really good movie for me. I was watching this and found it so shocking how still new movies will fall into these dramatic tropes. Bohemian Rhapsody and Elvis are two that were constantly coming to mind. There's a point that he has to he has to write the the song on the spot of Walk Hard, and it's literally the another one bites the dust scene from Bohemian Rhapsody of how it just whips together. Oh they know God. the lyrics already. <laughs> like it's so ridiculous how these mistakes are still made in these movies. So, and, and, and like I said, I, I think my takeaway from watching this film, and especially building off of the momentum of Black Dynamite last week, I think. It might be just that I enjoy a parody comedy that is smart or clever, but it's also in the design of how the jokes are delivered and crafted when someone gets them all or not. We're going to go ahead and give Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story, a 72. 72. Okay, that's a good score. Yep. I was maybe hoping for a little bit higher. Okay, all but, right. But 72 is okay. I think, I, I'd like that's to think that balances still. it. Yeah, that's, still, that's a yeah. good movie. Yeah. And we have such good supporting roles from Kristen Wiig, Jenna Fisher. <laughs> yeah. Jenna, oh, of course. Jenna, Jenna Fisher is more of kind of a more grounded, you know, they yep. don't give her as many jokes. But good on the musical front as but well. But she's doing, well, yeah, I mean, she's not, when she starts to sing and it's just clearly <laughs> not her voice, it's all just well planned out, very yeah, well yeah. planned out. I think at an hour and 36, I think there's some fat that could be trimmed, but for the most part, every scene I enjoy. I mean, I really do. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's something to it. There's something witty in there. It's total beat you over the head. If this joke is not hitting for you, just wait. Yeah, we're on okay? the next by, one. But by minute 45, you'll it, it'll hit you for the 10th time, and it's just like, okay, all right, it's pretty good. Yeah. I kind of I was kept on thinking it back. What was the movie, the I Spy movie or whatever, where he keeps on getting into a car crash? Oh, uh, uh, police, uh, police academy. No, no, no. <laughs> naked gun. Oh, that's right, right. Naked the, the, gun. The naked gun. Yes. Yeah. I, I can go on and on and on about this movie. We can just laugh about the bits in <laughs> yeah, it because yeah. it's so absurd. It's I love it. I love it when the kids playing the guitar and it's just <laughs> an old black guy playing the guitar. It's so good. Anyway, this gets two shoes and a lace tie. Whoa! Wow! Coming out with some heat. <laughs> this movie is fantastic. <laughs> 
whether you really know those biopics like Vin was talking about, whether you're completely clueless, clueless about them, watch this film. It's a rated R hour and a half. Sit down. You will be laughing. Sink into it. Enjoy it. You will enjoy every character on screen. Literally everyone yeah. is hamming it up. Everyone's hey, Dewey Cox's mom. <laughs> Oh, so she, great. She's so funny. We know it's been justified, obviously. It's like yeah, this yeah. super serious kind of person. <laughs> and she's just so <laughs> ridiculous. Yeah, man. It's a great film and it's hilarious. And it's such there's six films I have that I could turn on again and again and still mm. continue to laugh mm. at these things. Like like I said, 44 year old virgin not hitting for me. Sure. Really sure. at all, you know? Wow. I shouldn't say at all. Right, right. But not the expectation of right. the I will sit version. there. I can sit there and say, yes, this is an amusing film. Right. Dewey Cox, I'm laughing out loud. Right, right. You yeah, know, yeah. And that's quite a standard. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, give it a watch, folks. If you haven't already, it's Walk Hard, The Dewey Cox Story. 72%. Okay. We'll, we'll leave it at that. I, I'm okay with that. <laughs> he's, he's putting down the knife. <laughs> Listen, folks, if you're enjoying the podcast, if you're on the website, if you're reading the newsletter every week on Tuesday mornings, listen, that's value in your pocket. We and we always ask you every week, can you give us some value back in our pocket? You go to the dailyratings.com, you go to the donations tab, and basically you can donate whatever amount of value you feel that you're getting from the daily ratings. So you can go ahead and we have a weekly donation, we have multiple monthlies, we have some funny set one-time donations, like you can buy a movie ticket, something like that. Yep, absolutely. There's also the value for value button sitting right there. And basically, that's the idea. What value do you feel you're getting from this? A hundred bucks is different to this guy and that guy and everybody. That's just how it is. The point is, we're not doing paywalls. We're not going to hit you with corporate advertising or anything like that. We're not going to do Patreon where give us five bucks, you get a little bit of something. Give us 50 bucks, you get even more. Listen, that's not how we're going to do it. A dollar is different to everybody else. Mm. So what value are you getting for what we're providing here? Every week, Vin and I will sit here and host the show, but you will help produce the show. And you produce by going, like I said, to the daily ratings, sending us a donation. You can go ahead and write in a note along with it, whether it's questions, comments, critiques, love, hate, and we're going to read it right here on this segment on the podcast. So... (laughs) We're in the 100s now. We cannot wait for the next 100. We can't wait to get to episode 200. Oh, I can wait. We're We're having a blast doing this, folks. I want to make a quick mention. Next week is our... Oh, he's building it up. He's building it up. Next week to kind of get us into the 100s, uh, we have our biggest episode that we've ever done uh, coming up next week. It is just... It it is a history lesson on a specific segment (laughs) of filmmaking. So it's going to be really good. Please give it a listen. It's fantastic. We hope you all enjoy it. Again, it's dailyratings.com. Head to the donations tab. We thank you all so, so much. All right, Vin. Let's keep it going. We have... Um, we have our <laughs> new release. Have I think here? it's a weird October release, personally. Okay. I don't think this is bombing. It, yeah. It, I don't <laughs> think it should be an October release at all. This is Expendables 4, directed by Scott Wah or Wag or something. <laughs> Let's just get into it right away. I don't, I never feel like they, they the past three have been doing that well. I yeah. think three was a bit of a bomb. No shock that this is also kind of bombing. Yeah. So, they keep on coming back. I think maybe the crew, the cast has fun coming together, and I think they get really big paychecks. Uh, yeah, I think it, it's just it's one of those things that's led by enough personalities that money's gonna gonna flock to it uh, for funding purposes. Right, right. You know what I mean? They got enough connects. <laughs> so, so let's get into it. We're in the fourth story set up. Expendables four four. Expend four bulls. Yeah, is how it's spelled I didn't even want to. Die. <laughs> spelled like want- so idiotic. I know it's terrible. It's like Methregan yeah. earlier in the yep. year. Uh, it's here, folks. The fourth installment of the Geezer Action franchise. <laughs> uh, I, let me tell you what I was totally wrong with calling uh, Expendables a Gen X property. No, this is this is man. This is Boomer. <laughs> Might be getting <laughs> a silent generation a little bit on this one. <laughs> you stole the joke. <laughs> oh, I, had, I had a silent generation joke in here. Damn it! You beat me to it. I gotta be quicker. Oh, that's funny. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. That's great. Folks, uh, personally, <laughs> that's so good. I, I wrote the joke for you, too. <laughs> Just 
Simon generation. Oh, man. Oh, man. Uh, I personally have only seen the first film uh, from 2010, uh, which has a, a very early score that we put on. Those are back on, you know, just the days that Tom and I yeah, were the doing masterless this. couch days. Yeah, yeah, the couch days. <laughs> a very early low score for the ratings as well, standing at a 22. Uh, I would say there's precisely one good line coming from Expendables 1, if I remember correctly, as Terry Crews fires an automatic shotgun with exploding shells, he screams, remember this shit at Christmas. <laughs> that's so, pretty good. So yeah, look it up on YouTube. That's that's about all that movie has to give. Uh, and, and listen, folks, I'm down to have a good time, uh, but this was not a franchise I needed to do a deep dive on. I mean, it would be literally four reviews of me saying the same shit and just focusing on acting performances, mm-hmm. which is, there is no acting here. It is, it may be performances, but it's not acting. Yeah, I f- if we did all four of these, it would be, I feel like we could spend four minutes on each one, basically. Yeah. It's yeah, just yeah. like, okay, here's kind of main plot, good or bad, and then here's how in the individual <laughs> actors have done. Yeah, yeah, for real. <laughs> for real. Uh, Directing-wise, while this started out as Stallone's baby, the series has shuffled directors every film, and quality, as a result, has been all over the map, from what I can tell. Uh, here, our director doesn't have much going for him. Uh, biggest credit being the bad Need for Speed movie in 2014. Mm. So, yikes. <laughs> Not good. It's a real shame there wasn't a unified vision behind these, uh, whether that be Stallone or not. Uh, I think when a concept like this works best, is when, and if anything, going back to that first film, is it's when it's chasing the early action scenes in the original Predator movie. Uh, buff dudes trying to out macho each other and racking up plenty of kills. Yeah. Even if you look at like that scene of like the cheesiest line, the knife gets thrown, Arnie dodges it, and he says, oh, no, no. He, he gets the knife and he sticks someone guy in, into the wall. He says, stick around. There are jokes like this constantly, but that cannot be stretched out for a whole film. And what is the replacement or what is the in-between for all these expendable movies, or at least the two that I can speak to directly now, is garbage filler. Garbage filler is the variation uh, between action for the films and what the story has to give. And, uh, And at that point, it almost brings down the action itself. In Expend Four Bowls, uh, Stallone is getting a bit old, which shifts focus to Jason Statham to kick a bit more ass than usual, and Megan Fox to do Megan Fox things. <laughs> just be hot on yeah. camera, basically, I'm sure. I mean, wow, it's it, it really is just that. Yeah. I, and I mean, I almost wouldn't say that about any actress or actor but it really is just that and i think she knows it too they are hunting down a ingrained military power broker called ocelot metal gear fans i assure you this guy falls short of the real ocelot so no concern there uh initially i would say i was excited to see my man Iko uwais uh one of the best stuntmen in the biz and from the infinitely better action films the raid redemption and the raid 2 okay uh Iko is playing the bad guy here unfortunately it is a serious letdown um did he they- also do bathroom fight and fallout uh no, that was a different stunt coordinator. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's actually that stunt co- coordinator stays with the Mission Possible franchise for the whole time. Okay, so, gotcha. But but, uh, but still big name yes, in martial arts kind of fighting. Absolutely. Okay. And, and and folks, you know, to any fans of this movie, to any action fans, period, the raid needs to be a priority watch for you, preferably as an alternative to this movie. <laughs> Tom, I mean, as, as far as kind of talking about maybe even covering the raid one day, uh, we're still waiting on news from the director's new action film, Havoc, that's uh, Gareth Evans. I haven't come across anything for it, and not ju- even in a way that it's gotten pushed because of the writer strikes or anything. I know. You know, I haven't heard anything, and we have such a slew. I'm actually kind of excited still for films this year. All yeah. just kind of smaller, smaller budget stuff. Sure. You know? Yeah, and, and I mean, I don't know. I, I'm excited for Gareth Evans. I'm excited to when we can cover The Raid 1 and 2, because, boy, those are some action movies. And action movies in the way that this movie wants to do action. Uh, it might be too in the weeds, but this is not... I, I wouldn't compare this to John Wick, even though yeah. they are action franchises. Uh, it, the action is different. Uh, this is trying to go for a kill count, a lethality that you would find in something like The Raid, and done infinitely better in The Raid. So. Really? 
I see when I think of this movie, I kind of break it down as three different action uh-huh. because you have you have a John Wick, sure. which is that kind of action. You have Marvel action, mm, okay, and, and then you have just big explosion. What I would put at the uh, oh my gosh, the racing ones. Why can't I think of the racing? Oh, movies? Uh, Fast and Furious, like a Fast and Furious. Oh, for sure, like big stunts, big action, big yep. budget, kind of stuff like that. Yeah, that's what I picture almost the Expendables to Expendables to be. Sure, boys with. Toys, guns, yes. locations, and explosions. Yeah. Okay. I think it, where I make the comparison, though, is in how guns are used to rank up some lethality of, of action sequences. Okay, all right. Where uh, it may be a factor in, like, John Wick, but it's also John Wick. You know, he's yeah. going to get around him. So uh, I, I think here it's uh, it's about mayhem in action and definitely hitting on that level of, like, uh, Fast and Furious and, and shit like that. Sure. So I would say, though, uh, <laughs> there is some horrifically... <laughs> Cheap production on this fourth movie, though, folks. Shit looks like Spy Kids green screen behind the actors. <laughs> uh, laziest of circumstances. <laughs> Probably in their home offices. Yeah, for real. It's <laughs> like a, a work. work work from remote gig. <laughs> Stallone calls you up and he says, hey, you got a Zoom camera? You, <laughs> you want to hop on a call real quick? Uh, I mean, so much so that it makes me wonder how many actors were in the same room at all in, in in the most surprising of scenes. One being very early when Stallone comes to visit Statham. Mm-hmm. M- Megan Fox looks like she's in an entirely different set, and they're supposed to be in the Are same like room. Like the door is open, and she's supposed to be like just in the right, right, right. Really not sure what's going on here, uh, <laughs> and, and concerning. Like concerning is the word. This issue wounds the film critically, however, because in action scenes, not only does this look worse than a YouTube video, the scenes feel weightlessly disconnected. Um, It gives the film an excuse for cutaway reactions from the cast. Because and, and and a perfect example is anytime they're in like the buggy or like the turret of a buggy, it's just clearly a green screen and and and, and they they can just cut to you know probably a sizzle reel of different reactions right, yep. from you know that all these actors are giving that they have in the holster that they can cut to in the edit. When it comes down to it, it really does feel like the worst qualities of Marvel creeping into this style because now we don't get this cheap kind of. Experience explosion action that looks terrible because of the quality then it's cutting away to people making these quips uh, you know a la avengers or something right, like that right, right. and it's just like it 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 fails so horribly at that it's really <laughs> bad uh, i mean it's it's just it's just god awful uh, i think 50 cent is is probably the I was worst gonna ask. Yeah. i was going to say i was 50 cent <laughs> i was ruined for 50 but <laughs> There's also a weird thing that they play one of his songs in universe, which I'm not gonna nitpick, but like, is he a rapper in the universe or like what? What's going on? So, I'm okay with that. Yeah, all right. Yeah, that, that's me. That's, that's too deep. Uh, I'm sorry, but Megan Fox is just she's just awful in this. Yeah. She's just so bad. I get it, folks. She's hot. I get it. I really do. But this acting is out of. F- control tom in the course of watching every movie ever mark my words i will come up with a kind of a law of diminishing returns a supply and demand type of model that will be basically model a chart for someone's hotness no longer excusing piss poor acting Ah, i like this a lot and Megan Megan Fox is definitely like spiking She's on the, the chart. <laughs> She's the example, right? Yes, That's what she yes, is. Yes, yes. <laughs> on a so, scale from zero to Megan Fox. Yes. <laughs> so keep a lookout for that, uh, producers of the show. We'll, that, that'll be, be that'll on the be, website. Yeah, they'll be part of the directorship. <laughs> we'll have uh, economic models yeah. of, of films. Uh, but, no real surprise here, though. Yeah, I, I mean. The thing is, it was so bad, I don't know if I did get how hot she was. It was she was that bad. such a bad actress. <laughs> and then I was thinking back to like Transformers 1 and like things I've maybe seen her in. Or uh, or even like um, horror-wise, a- Jennifer's Body. Apparently like kind of a good role for her. Right, right. Man, I just, uh, it, it was just so bad and it just felt like she's... She's not a good actress. No. She's in This Is 40, I believe, which oh, really? is Apatow. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And then she was in Ninja Turtles movie too. Oh, that's right. You were yeah. because of the, the Michael Bay connection. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there you yeah, go. There it is. But he's always got the, the handle on the on the hottest. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, I don't know. Obviously, it's almost a no-brainer to include her in the plot 
putting her in as many white t-shirts as possible. But uh, it just it just really it subtracted from already the bad action uh, with I mean really some piss poor acting is just really bad. I would say next biggest thing is just so many boomer jokes in this more boomer jokes than I could stomach, folks. And this is <laughs> <laughs> this is where the joke is. Yeah, this is yeah. Joke is. <laughs> I won't say it. Go ahead, go ahead. Uh, this isn't Boomer anymore. It's Silent Generation. <laughs> but, you know, th- th- I would say if this film was sped up every time a my back geezer style oh, joke is wow. told, it would be 10 minutes long. Yeah. It would just like <laughs> exponentially speed up because there are just so many rapid fire. Folks at home, if you want to play a little game, think of of a geezer joke. And trust me, it will be in oh, the film. That's a great bingo card. Yeah, yeah. it's in the film. <laughs> Anything you can think of, it's. It, I guarantee it's in the film. Low hanging fruit is not even a. Doesn't even come close. The, the fruits on the ground. <laughs> the fruits uh, in the picker already. <laughs> Honestly, please steer clear of this movie. If you feel like watching any of these films, contact me personally. I, I, I've talked about this before with action movies. Uh, I'm going to have open office hours. You can contact me directly, and I will tell you. Listen watch a different action yeah. movie. <laughs> I, will, I will steer you in the right direction. Yeah, that get an idea of who the person is. Yes. You know, we should have like a five-question survey. Oh, you're this kind <laughs> yeah. of person? Here yep. you go. Right, right. Tom.vin at thedailyratings.com. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. For real. Uh, I mean, in addition to uh, my comments on the raid and whatnot, I feel like, um, go back to our John Wick episode. Uh, go back to our Christmas episode where I talk about Die Hard. Mm. There are fundamental pieces that fall into place to make good action uh, uh, you know, able to, be ha- able to happen in the films. That is not the case here. This is garbage food. This is the bag of chips you think you want. I'm telling you, you don't want it. We're going to go ahead and give Expend Four Bowls a 21. 21%. I love it. <laughs> Fell at the low end. I'm almost surprised it did this well. Like, I had zero <laughs> hopes for anything with this film. I would not right. be, like, if it was in the teens, it would not be surprising. Sure, sure. I, I Yeah, I, I can't explain where it's above the teens, but... I don't know. Let's maybe, say, maybe it's a, yeah, I don't know. For whatever reason, you have one friend or something like that, or your husband really wants to go, and then it's like, okay, mm. I gotta go. Is there one little cameo performance that's a secret that that's a nice nugget? Is there any type of sequence that's anything to hold on to? I, I don't think so, because especially I was looking back at the roster of Expendables One. Talk about, I mean, it, it wipes the floor. Not Mel, I don't think Mel Gibson was, was uh, Steven Seagal, yeah. uh, Bruce Willis. You know I mean, it was a lot of a cast. Schwarzenegger, it's barely anyone's left. Yeah, it's true. Stallone doesn't get out of the... Andy, out of the... Andy Garcia. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 50 Cent. Like... And they weren't bombs. They do... I mean, obviously, since there's a fourth... Sure. Three... So, right. They're not bombs, but they're not like unbelievably successful. Yeah, yeah. Um, they really rely on the foreign markets, actually. Oh, sure. That makes sense. That makes sense. Um, okay. But... Uh... Yeah. Well, this is not the strongest week we've had. <laughs> um, but believe it or not, an enjoyable week. That's I, good. I, I, because th- I got to tell you, your three horrors here, not, not great. <laughs> uh, 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 the high, the current winner of the Apatow study uh, with, uh, oh, with Walk Hard. Walk Hard, 72%. Yeah, so that's nice. And, but. and then our next one will be the uh, Pineapple. Pineapple Express. Probably not going to be the winner. <laughs> uh, we'll see. I think you're going to yeah. like you're gonna like that banter back and forth that the bros yeah, have. Yeah. Yeah, you know? and it's the uh, first time we're kind of touching on James Franco as well, which is Seth Rollins oh. and James Franco. You know, that's a duo for Very sure. Very true for, yeah, not anymore, but yes. <laughs> um, excellent, Vin. Looking at these scores here, anything you want to touch on or add? Like, like uh, you know. No, no. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm excited for October, folks. We're going to have it a little broken up just for, um, you know, scheduling reasons. Mm-hmm. But uh, that does not mean we're not going to pump out quality. And I think that'll be, you know, proof in the pudding uh, with the special we'll post next week. So. I cannot wait, folks. Really, check it out next week. Like I yeah, said, it's yeah. our biggest episode. A lot of many, many, <laughs> many hours went into it. So we hope you enjoy it. We enjoyed it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and we hope that says something at least. Absolutely. So, folks, thank you so much. Vin, thanks for watching these films. For stopping by here folks at home we're going to run it down one more time we have the quiet earth with the 56 percent stir of echoes with the 59 the others with the 63 walk hard with the 72 and finally expendables four with the 21 percent folks thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next week on the daily ratings podcast 
Hey, if you enjoyed the podcast, if you would, could you give us a good rating or tell a friend about us? If you're wondering if a film is worth a watch, or if you'd just like to see more movie ratings from Vince, be sure to stop by thedailyratings.com, where we have our ever-expanding catalog of films. Also, if you found value in the podcast or our site, become a producer and go to the Donations tab on thedailyratings.com. You can donate whatever amount of value you feel you see from us. We're looking to build this into something large and great, folks, but we also want to be independent from all those corporate sponsors. So we greatly appreciate any support from you all. So thanks so much, and we'll see you next time on the Daily Ratings Podcast.